Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is the solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, Just delighted today to be able to welcome um, uh, another special guest. Uh, As many of you know, uh, this podcast and radio show um, started um, 10 years ago in August of 2012, and so we're celebrating uh, 10 years uh, in August, and we're going to announce a number of, of special uh, things going on in the month of August. But today, I just feel like we, we've started a bit early um, because today's guest is um, uh, going to have a really informative conversation with a psychologist um, who has worked uh, as a professor and, and has published with Psychology Today and, um, and has, has uh, consulted on a, a wide range of topics and, and issues. Um, and so I'm pleased to uh, welcome uh, Dr. Leon Seltzer. Welcome, Lee. Uh, I'm happy to be here, Brian, and hopefully I can answer some questions. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, I don't want you to feel like it's an interview. You know, part of uh, the success of, of what we've enjoyed over the last 10 years is that it's just a conversation and, you know, uh, gives me an opportunity to say that over the years of talking to so many people, um, I, uh, the way this started was that, um, you know, every week I would almost come back to my colleagues and I'd say, you never believe who I talked to today. And they'd say, um, okay, who did you talk to today? And it would always be someone fascinating and always something wonderful I gleaned from the conversation. And I know today will be no different than that. And so just kind of in a formal way, I started uh, doing this radio show and, um, and here we are 10 years later still doing it. And, and so today's topic, um, uh, how to deal with narcissistic behaviors expert advice for work and life uh, came to mind. I I read uh, a number of articles that you've read in Psychology Today and Post. uh, And so, you you know, a lot of people follow you there and and read, you you know, from your expert advice. But what I I was so fascinated by and said, you know, this is somebody I'd love to talk to, was just your insight on what narcissistic behavior is. And it made me also realize that, um, you know, there's, there's kind of an a increase from my perspective in the use of the word narcissist. You know, I hear it all the time. Now you hear people on television, um, t- uh, radio broadcasts or, or cable news where people are talking about uh, someone being a narcissist or not. And so I want to hear it straight from the expert help me understand what what exactly is a narcissist and you know what what's the definition of someone who kind of really qualifies as a narcissist and if there's any difference between those people who may just demonstrate narcissistic behaviors 
I guess I should start by saying the statistics I've seen indicate that somewhere between 1% and 5% of the population could be diagnosed as having narcissistic personality disorder. That's a very Mm -hmm. small number. But Mm -hmm. in terms of people who have certain narcissistic traits, uh, that balloons up to probably close to 100%, because I think we all have narcissistic traits. And I think the reason is, unless we got unconditional love and acceptance from our parents, which is a rarity, because as, as much love as we might get from our parents, there are times when our needs are in conflict with their needs, and then they withhold that unconditional acceptance because if our needs interfere with theirs, we become a threat to them. So that generally leads to what in the literature is generally referred to as narcissistic injury. And I think all of us in growing up inevitably experience some narcissistic injury when we feel unconditional love and acceptance has been withheld. And Mm. some of the defenses against that may be to try to make ourselves feel that not only are we okay, but we're better than okay. So to the extent we live in a very competitive society, and we need to prove that we're adequate for a lot of people in some areas at least, to be okay is defined by them as to be better than okay, to be better than others. So all of us, I think, uh, just in terms of what achievement needs to us and our drive to achieve probably makes us likely in one area or another to be somewhat narcissistic. Hmm. So I wouldn't want anybody to think that they were somehow deformed, dysfunctional. But, for instance, anybody who is arrogant, because arrogance can be defined as thinking you know more than you actually know, that is narcissistic. It doesn't mean they have a full-fledged narcissistic personality disorder. So the main thing is how you deal with somebody who is narcissistic, and that is different from how you would deal with somebody who has the actual disorder, which is much more serious and actually much more rare. <laughs> so, so what I hear you saying is that um, not only is uh, narcissistic behavior, you know, kind of okay, or you know, there are some that are that are traits. I should say some behaviors. Uh, okay, that in in some ways, you know, I, I hesitate to say it's necessary, but that it that they are a part of our survival uh, in a lot of ways. Um, and I think about it uh, being something where we might think of of certain behaviors that are productive, like you know, you say being confident. Um, but there's a point at which, kind of a tipping point at which confidence can be perceived as arrogance, and so it's no longer productive. Is that is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, that's that's precisely accurate. Because the main thing is, arrogance in my value system is never okay. Mm-hmm. But you're right, arrogance can be seen as overconfidence, or another word for that is being cocky, and being yeah. cocky has very unfavorable connotations because it suggests one presumes that they're better than or they know more than other people. And that's a way of alienating others. And it ends up being abusive toward others. And anything that is emotionally abusive toward others, to me, isn't okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what do you think, um, and I don't, I don't know if you share the same view, 
um, where there seems to be, you, you hear the word um, a lot more now. It just, I, you know, I don't have any kind of empirical data, but it just feels like I hear that a lot more. And some of it may be because there are you know, more people that have, have risen to very public, um, public spaces that exhibit um, more of those traits than others have previously. Um, but what do you think is, is this, that might even be the reason that I perceive it to be um, more of a word that people are using now than before? First of all, I think what you're saying makes sense, and it's my experience as well, that there are more people demonstrating narcissistic traits than you or I can probably remember in our lifetime. Uh-huh. And I think part of it is maybe um, some shallow definitions of self-esteem, and parents can inadvertently raise their children to be narcissistic by maybe praising them for something insignificant or making them feel special. And my sense is, in a way, we're all special, but we need to see ourselves as not better than others because that is a way of basically kind of trampling on others' rights, that we have a sense of fairness that is so heavily biased in our favor that... uh, we expect from others deference or we intimidate others because we have to stand out. And it's a shame that people, to feel that they're good enough, more than ever need to somehow convince themselves that they're better than. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because I think about, um, and, and which may be the uh, misapplication of positive psychology. You, you mentioned something about parents uh, raising children and perhaps uh, praising them um, for for something insignificant. You know, there's a school of thought out there about um, what what people refer to as uh, the the participation trophy. Uh, and that, you know, that, that there's been more of that in more recent years, and it's been blamed for uh, not just uh, high levels of self-esteem, but inflated senses of self. Um, so for, for young parents or parents, period, out there um, that are trying to strike a balance, what's your advice to that? I mean, I, I mean what's the... And I know all children are different, but what are some of the, the guardrails around not enough self-esteem um, prom, uh, promotion uh, and too much that give rise to narcissistic behaviors that are, that are no longer productive? And I'm thinking about the fact that great inflation, uh, which can be demonstrated, it's like I read recently that the average grade now in school is an A. It used to be a C, and then great inflation hiked it up to a B, and now it's actually an A. So when you make the point that it's like anybody who participates gets a trophy, uh, we kind of live in a trophy mentality now. And everybody is looking for a trophy and come to believe that if they participate, well, they should get a trophy, they should get an A, whatever it is. 
uh, and it's warranted, it's deserved, regardless of performance. And parents can play into this in the way they encourage the child. So it's been said that a child should be basically congratulated as much, maybe even more, for the effort they put into something than the results that they get from it. If they're constantly judged and held to very high standards, which may be unrealistic for the child, then the child may have a sense of shame that they're not good enough, and then they can develop narcissistic defenses to convince themselves and really to convince others that they are more than good enough. So there have been a number of developments, cultural developments, societal developments in this country that have led, I think, to a regrettable increase in the amount of narcissism. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, you know, I, and, I, and that's part of what I hear on, on whether it is news media or other places where uh, people who are talking about narcissism uh, often are referring to this greater sense of self and accomplishment um, where, where they have, it's, it may be something that a lot of people have accomplished, but somehow because they did it, it is unusual or, or uh, something um, extraordinary. The other thing is the drive toward achievement is so out of balance that people with narcissistic traits tend to take credit for something that maybe they only made a minor contribution to, and they will claim that they did it all because, again, they associate achievement with their being good enough. So uh, it's not as though one is born narcissistic, but that one can be raised to develop a narcissistic set of defenses because I basically see narcissistic traits as mechanisms of defense and their defense against feeling insecure because somehow or other they question whether they were were good enough. So if their parents overpraised them and made them feel entitled, what they experience with their peers is that their peers don't accept their superiority as a given. And what they will typically do is they will change the rules. So the rules seem fair to them. They don't seem fair to any of their peers. So they can come into a lot of rejection. And uh, they may be alienated from their peers simply because they have developed a certain sense of entitlement and superiority because of how their parents wanted to help them have higher self-esteem. So, I mean, I know we keep, we're, we're talking about this, and, and you've come back several times to the, the socialization uh, mm-hmm. from, from childhood. Um, is there any other way in which, let's say, parents did their best and tried, and, and so all of those things were in check while they were children, and then they become adults, um, what are some of the triggers that make people um, make people uh, display these behaviors? Because I think about uh, even a lot of people in leadership positions are so driven by competition that it then becomes even more of a uh, a display of these behaviors that it's not just for the sake of 
you know, I, I want to win, but they also go, um, you know, they go to the point where they cheat um, in order to win. Um, so what, you know, is, is there anything that is, that may give rise to that, that didn't start with some kind of deficit or, or inflation from their childhood? Okay. Um, before I let me answer that question second, if I can kind of keep that in the back of my mind, because I should add that it's also possible that somebody could develop narcissistic traits or a full-blown narcissistic personality disorder if they have parents who are narcissistic and put their needs ahead of the child, so mm. the child discarded or dismissed mm. or ignored, and would develop a shame-based identity because. If the parents made their needs, the child's needs secondary to their own, then it makes the child feel that they're not good enough. And a popular defense against that is to convince oneself to harbor the illusion or the delusion that you absolutely are good enough. Now, in terms of achievement, um, what I think it comes down to, if you really dig below the surface, is that narcissists cannot validate themselves. They need validation from outside. And that's why they never get enough. And a key word in understanding their personality is more. Whatever they're getting, they need more of it, more of it, more of it, because they can't internalize it. So that's one reason why to get the praise, to get the accolades, to get the respect, they are likely, yes, to cheat and to take credit for something they haven't done, or to basically act in ways that are deceptive and going so far as to victimize other people, because without that external validation, what comes to the surface is these deeper insecurities that have never been resolved. This is why the more narcissistic they are and the more chronic these behaviors have been, the more that they're going to need expert therapy if there's going to be much of a change. If they have a full-blown personality disorder, uh, most therapists would agree that they might be able to get that person to change certain behaviors with certain people, but their narcissistic personality disorder is so intrinsic to their identity that it's unrealistic to expect that somehow they can be, quote, cured, end quote, of their personality disorder. I see. I see. And and so in the cases where it is not a full-blown personality disorder, do in some ways they become kind of addicted to the attention? So you were saying they need more, want more and more. I mean, because honestly, I see that and I've seen that throughout my career of people that it seems like they just couldn't get enough attention. And no matter what, you know, what uh, venue they were in and what setting, they found a way to become the center of attention and, and focus on and make issues their issues. Um, is, it, is it kind of an addiction to the attention? In a sense, I think all personality disorders have addictive elements to them. So, yeah, uh, there's a, a, a Roman philosopher that said millennia ago, nothing is enough 
for the person for whom enough is too little. Mm. <laughs> and it's interesting when you really get impatient with somebody, you can say enough is enough. Stop already. But I remember dealing with a couple in which the husband, to win an argument, would keep it going for three solid hours. And at some point, the spouse just gives in. <laughs> it's sort of like uh, you need to kind of go along to get along, because otherwise you can't get along with a narcissist who absolutely has to be right. And they do feel this urge to be right no matter what the circumstances, even when they're maybe flat out wrong, simply yeah. because it's like their self-acceptance is mm. at risk. And that's why they can be so desperate. And ultimately, basically, uh, with this particular couple, the spouse divorced him because he just wouldn't listen to her. He just mm -hmm. wouldn't consider her needs as on a par with his own. And that's the way it is with any serious narcissist. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's in the personal life. Um, let's let's start with uh, talking a little bit about the um, the work life, and mm -hmm. and so you know, what do you do when you you have someone? And I've I've had people who have come to me um, uh, with with challenges like so. Here's here's what the, my supervisor did um, and took credit and always takes credit for what I'm doing. Um, so what's your advice? How, how, do you, how do you negotiate with someone who is displaying these behaviors? Okay, you're making a very important distinction here because how you could best respond to somebody who is your life partner or your child or your parent is going to be very different from how you would respond ideally to somebody who may be your boss or your supervisor to the extent that they have control over you, to the extent they could fire you, and to the extent that they can't accept criticism. As a matter of fact, one other of many articles I've, I've published on narcissism is called The Narcissistic Dilemma. They can dish it out, but dot, 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 and you know how that ends, but they can't take it. In other words, yeah. they're very, very critical of others, which means that others generally experience a real loss in self-esteem if they stay with a narcissist, but they cannot take any criticism at all. Now, the main thing is if you're dealing with a boss or a supervisor who is a narcissist, you can't challenge them. You can't even give them feedback about how they're affecting you because they will take that as criticism and they can't handle criticism because what it is it kind of shakes up what's to the defense system. So uh, they, they just won't be able to tolerate it. They can't handle it. So the main thing is, yeah, you may need to suck up to them unless you're ready to leave your position because when you become almost a mortal threat to them, uh, they will marginalize you. They will demote you in some way, or they will outright get rid of you. It's like you need to be 100% loyal to them and obedient toward them and see their perspective as trumping your own, or basically they won't tolerate you. Yeah. They will bully you. Yeah. So 
it's in other words, you need if you're the spouse of a narcissist, you have to let them know how they're affecting you. It's better to give them feedback than it is to criticize them. And the distinction between criticism and feedback is feedback is about yourself. You're saying, when you talk to me this way, it makes me feel that I can't be in the same room with you because I don't feel safe. So in other words, you're not really blaming them directly, but you're letting them know that when they condescend to you, when they're forever picking on you, it's hurtful and you feel you need to withdraw because if they need you for what in the literature is called a narcissistic supply, in other words, anybody who's a narcissistic supply to a narcissist is basically giving them the adulation and the deference that they need in order to feel good about themselves. But in terms of being in a work situation, you realize if you want to keep your job, that you better suck up to your boss uh, as much as possible. You want to maintain your integrity. So rather than saying, I agree with you, maybe you can just say, uh, that's a perspective I hadn't thought of. Thank you for sharing that with me. And that might be enough for your narcissistic boss. Mm. Wow. I, you, you, you know, the more you've described this, the more I, I'm just kind of playing back over my head in my head, some of the situations I've watched, not necessarily always directed, you know, kind of me being in, in the relationship with someone um, in, in my work life that where, where they were, they displayed these personalities, but watching that happen to other people um, and just thinking like there's, there's a no, this is a no win situation because just exactly as you said, that you, if you say anything, it then still becomes about the person, um, not like you're, you're not um, supportive or loyal to the person, and they, they kind of demand that. So, so it sounds like it's a very difficult place to be in from a work perspective, you know, for anyone that finds themselves um, being supervised by someone that is, is uh, in this category. Yeah, that's, that's right on because a win-win situation, which is generally seen as ideal for workers, co-workers, or employee and employer, can't exist because it's zero-sum gain with them. They either win or they lose. Yeah. And that's why, in, in many ways, it's, it's untenable. So if, in fact, I would advise most people if they have a narcissistic boss that makes it difficult for them to sleep at night because things feel so precarious or they're so angry and they can't vent that anger because they know it's too dangerous to leave that position, to start interviewing for other positions so hopefully they can get out of it because it's bad for anybody's mental health and at some point, it can affect you not simply mentally and emotionally, but physically as well. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you're, that strikes a, a real chord with me around what I've seen and heard people um, struggle with, um, from especially that they they have difficulty sleeping and and just um, being at peace on their own. So. Um, thanks for sharing that. And, and I guess lastly, um, I, I just got a uh, direct message from one of our listeners who 
uh, is just curious, and it, it, at, they ask the question, um, is there ever a healthy form of narcissism? The main thing is if one gets a lot of gratification out of achieving at a high level, that basically, although they're striving to achieve to the point that their life is out of balance, it's healthy to the extent that they're making a real contribution culture. It's uh, and and great artists like say Beethoven or, or Wagner. I'm just talking about the musical world, but yeah. I could also mention Picasso. Um, a lot of the contribution they made was because they were driven, and narcissists tend to be driven. So uh, I don't know that in order to be as healthy as we can be, we need to have narcissistic traits. All I'm saying is, as long as it isn't abusive toward other people and doesn't involve huge amounts of self-deception, then I would say yes. My guess is if uh, the listener looked up healthy narcissism on the Internet, there'd probably be a number of entries indicating when narcissism is not abusive toward other people, and it actually can end up being abusive toward oneself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And such as being overly critical um, and and just looking at oneself as not good enough. I'm, I'm not sure in what sense you, you're mentioning uh, not, not looking at oneself as good enough. That as yep. relates to what? Yeah, so just in their jobs, in their lives, you know, I, I hear that um, among, you know, people with, who who say that they feel like imposters, as an example. Like, I'm, I, I don't feel that I'm good enough to be here, even though they've been selected. So, you know, that like the, kind of the opposite of it would be um, that they beat up on themselves thinking, you know, that, that and I, I, I was just thinking about earlier when you mentioned insecurity, uh, that a large bit of it is fueled by insecurity. Right. And basically, there are three types of narcissists, and we probably don't have the time for me to go into each one, but you're referring pretty much to the vulnerable narcissists, that their insecurities, their self-doubts are very close to the surface, And they don't need praise and adulation as much as they need constant reassurance from others. And unfortunately, because they can't internalize that, uh, they just need more and more, and they can simply wear on the other person's patience. Uh, Sure, sure. Uh, we, We can go over a little bit more, and I'd love to hear about those other two. Okay, well, there is the grandiose narcissist that basically uh, brags all the time and basically is more given to deception and cheating and warding it over other people. I use the word ward in, in a double sense there. And then there's the communal narcissist. The communal narcissist is really fascinating because they're the ones who look to be altruistic to others they make their life's mission, in a sense, doing for others, but boy, do they want credit for it. 
In other words, it's another way of being the center of attention. And they want the adulation for what they're doing for others. So it's not true altruism because it's still self-centered and self-serving. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, that's really helpful and certainly a framework for understanding uh, the different behaviors that are related to this. So, um, Lee, tell us as we're closing out um, how – how to reach you, where, where you're writing. I mentioned earlier, you've been um, a, a constant on psychology today, which is how I found you, but do you have any social media uh, handles, um, any upcoming um, books or anything like that, or, or former books that you've written that you'd like to share? Well, there are three things here. One is that I'm on Facebook and I always like getting new friends or followers on Facebook and Twitter as well. And I guess the third one would be LinkedIn. Um, and anybody who would be interested in consulting with me, basically the easiest thing is to get in touch with me through Psychology Today. So the name of my blog site is Evolution of the Self. So if you put down Leon Seltzer plus Psychology Today, um, the blog site Evolution of the Self should come up in the top three somewhere. And in terms of getting in touch with me, um, you can do that through Psychology Today. I don't know exactly what window it could be in, but it, there's a way of communicating directly to me uh, if you desire a consult or just have a question that you want to have answered. Sure, sure. Well, Lee, thank you so much for this conversation. I learned a lot from just a short 30-plus minutes of talking to you. I'm sure people listening in did the same. Uh, wishing you great success, and I am definitely looking forward uh, to your next post um, in Psychology Today. And um, as I said, just wishing you the best and hope to hear from you again. And so until then, go well, stay well. Okay, and so glad you supported your platform. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.